you guys are lucky that I don't edit every episode because this would have been the cold open. So this is a movie that you guys will like. I thought it was okay. Oh, baby, that was good. I am stupid. I like to cook slop. Do you want to top that slop? Thought we were going to have fun here. Yes, queen. Down with guilty pleasures, up with pleasure pleasures. Did we? Talk you into. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other and maybe even you into liking what we like. This week, I am talking them into my neighbor Totoro. My name is Jimmy, and my brother just informed me he got his license. My name is Dan, and I'm recording most of this week standing up because I hurt my back sleeping. <laughs> my name is Jeff, and Meatloaf regularly visited my elementary school. Oh, rest in peace to a yeah. legend. I was thinking about that fun fact for a while and heard the news yesterday that the big boy's upstairs, or maybe downstairs. I don't know. He, he <laughs> He's did some, bad some, out of hell. He did some satanic stuff. Maybe he'll come back in bat form. That'd be cool <laughs> but as yeah, hell. Yeah, I... I know I'm not making it up because I remember very well that he was friends with a fifth grade teacher at my elementary school, Mr. Ormondo. He was the only male teacher in the school. He was like in 1993, he was like the most Italian guy you could think of, like big, thick mustache. And like, why is he teaching in elementary school and not like owning a restaurant or something? I just didn't. You were like, is this Mario? (laughs) And, you know, somebody was like, I mean, this is one bat out of two. Bat Out of Hell 2 came out. So Bat Out of 2. Like, yeah, Bat Out of 2. He's like at the, the second prime of his career. He's like a big right. rock star. And somebody's like, Meatloaf. Wait, was this before was like, after, was this before or after he was dressing up as Beast from Beauty and the Beast? I, uh, about the same time. Nice. Think, yeah. So, and I'm like, no way. And like, somebody showed me a picture of like him with the teacher. He took a picture with all of the kids in that class. And this is like, he would come to the school like every other year. And I like missed it or whatever Uh, when I was in fifth grade. But my neighbor, Johnny, got to meet him and I was like, oh man, so I know it's real. But all these years I've doubted myself. I was like, what the hell is this rock star doing? Just coming to Shelton, Connecticut, just like (laughs) in an elementary school in like the biggest point in his celebrity life. And I'm just, it just didn't seem real to me. So yesterday I wrote this fun fact down when I heard that he passed. And then totally separately, I'm watching better things and I'm Googling donut places in Connecticut because I want to try a new donut place. And it was on <laughs> ctpost.com. And then the first article was like, Rockstar has deep Connecticut ties. And I'm like, oh, really? So I'm reading about it. And I guess he lived somewhere in Connecticut. And they're like, yeah. Meatloaf performed in stadiums as well as small places like this country club in Shelton, Connecticut. And I was like, oh, I'm validated. The same <laughs> town I went to elementary school. He's just put it on concerts at some country club. It's all That's real. Funny. My memories are correct. I am the one, Jimmy. This is solipsism is real. I'm number one. You guys don't exist. <laughs> Who would have thought talking about that? That Who we would thought? go down a meatloaf tangent on this podcast. And, and big ups to him too, because you know he's got some he's got some rocking songs. I only know a few of the big hits. Not a huge fan, but to call yourself meatloaf and stick with it and, <laughs> Jeff. and be serious about it. Big ups yeah. to you, sir. Yeah. Did Meatloaf you do 
Um, I got a question for both of you guys. Did you guys do any um, research into like his views? Because I'm not sure that Meatloaf no was idea. a great guy. No, I've no uh, well, idea. I've heard he's denounced his uh, former um, uh, Trump support candidate. Yeah. Oh, I've heard he, he regressed that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He like sang at Trump rallies and stuff. Oh, that's. Okay. He was also anti-vax, so you guys picked a good one. Eh, you know, I, he's old. Yeah, I mean, I'm just it's topical, Dan. Just At this point, I just I just realized people are old and they just are set in their ways and I'm fine with it to be Dude, honest. Oof. They're all going to die soon. That's bad. Jimmy, speaking of being old, how old do you feel knowing that your tiny little baby brother has a license? Uh, I've because, had my license 10 years I just realized and I'm like oh no because I'm only 3 years older than my brother and when he does something I'm still like that's my little brother yeah it's weird he also beat you to marriage and childbirth yes he's far <laughs> more successful than I am too. I thought you met my brother oh. and I was like Jesus Christ he's secretly married with child <laughs> he got a license found a woman and knocked her up all in a day's work Seriously, though, I remember when Brennan was born and he's not like a big part of my life because he's Jimmy's stepbrother. So I only see him like once every five years. So it's pretty crazy when I do see him. Yeah, he's he's basically a man now. He's a he's a junior in high school, I think. Wow. Crazy. Big ups. Yeah. Big ups to Bren. And speaking of being old, Dan, you're backwards. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but the last two nights. I felt fine going to bed and woke up with such lower back pain, like someone was sticking a knife into it. So that's Dude, fun. You're over. You're over thirty. Once you hit thirty, that's just that's just normal. It happens. That's In the words of like Newfound that. Glory, it's all downhill from here. Yep, and that's, that's all I got, fellas. This is the part of the episode where we're telling each other what we've been talking ourselves into. It's very personal, um, very close to our hearts. It's usually not. It's usually something stupid. Um, if you don't want to hear this part and you just want to hear about my neighbor, Tor Toto from Kansas or whatever it's called, <laughs> look at the show notes, timestamps, skip ahead. If you want to listen to it, Keep on going. Nothing's stopping you except for yourself. You are in charge of your own destiny. You're the only one that exists. Nothing Solipsism. real. Solipsism, baby. Talk me into being. <laughs> this is going to make um, no sense because we had most of that conversation <laughs> off, mo- off mic. Yeah. Well, I hope Jimmy edits before the music. Let's do a cold open. This is our three-year episode, and that's kind of where my talking myself into falls. This is our big... <laughs> We've been doing this three years. We launched our first episode on uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2019. This episode comes out February 15th, I think, of 2022. That math doesn't really add up because of leap years. And so anyway, three years we've been doing this freaking show. And we were going to do Uncharted. It was close to Jimmy's heart. We wanted to play a video game. Every time Jimmy picks a video game, COVID ramps up. So (laughs) thank Jimmy for these variants. Um, and the pandemic never ending. So we're recording remotely. We're not doing that. We've been kind of, I wanted to do a record round table five. Haven't done a record round table <laughs> in two years. Um, we've done other round tables. They've worked out. Jimmy's like, I don't listen to music. So I'm like, do you guys just want to do number five? And Jimmy's like, I don't listen to music, which is crazy, yeah. crazy to me. So yeah, I wanted, if we were going to do record round table, I was going to pick um, a band turnstile, their album glow on. And I've been talking myself into turnstile. 
very, very heavily these last few weeks. Um, Turnstile is a band from Baltimore that came up and just like Baltimore, Baltimore, um, just because of the music I listened to came up on Spotify a bunch. I've seen like the name all around and I know I've, I've probably heard songs from them and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, and then I was like, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen to this album glow on. And I listened to it from front to back and I was like, holy sorry, Jim. I, I was like, this is a near perfect album. I love this. And then I started, I just kept listening to it, reading more about it. It's like Rolling Stones n- number nine album of all last year. Um, it's just been getting praise in like the hardcore community. And it it's it's a game changer as far as hardcore music goes. So and Jeff. Yeah. It's in the cultural zeitgeist and full of punk rock ethos. <laughs> Both of those things. Yes. <laughs> um, I definitely want to do it. And, and I've listened to their other music and I like it. Um, this album is a step above everything else, though. It's it's really good. It's been like we just recorded Roy Orbison um, and I listened to way more turnstile than Roy Orbison these last two weeks. Um, <laughs> it's just it's a really good album. And I want to find a way to talk about it with you guys. Um working it into the schedule because it's it's very good and i don't really have anything else to say because this isn't a turnstile episode so (laughs) and what are you talking yourself into this week i'm talking myself into turnstile no i'm just kidding (laughs) no um we all were we've we've had like three (laughs) episodes where two of us are talking each other into the same thing (laughs) um no this is a kind of a twofer so a couple weeks ago the last time we recorded um we did saga and I wrote down, talk myself into uh, catching up on Saga. And I thought that's what I would discuss today. But I got so into rereading Saga. I got so sucked in that I'm fully caught up. I read wow. all of it. Wow. Yay. Good. That's good. Yeah. There was a big chunk that I hadn't even read, like most of the third compendium. Yeah. So it was incredible. As Jimmy referenced, it did end on a big cliffhanger. Um, oh, yeah. I'm really excited. At the time of this airing, the first issue will have come out and the second issue will be on its way. But so what I'm really talking myself into this week is buying digital comics. Um, I may have referenced ah. this before. I've done it here or there for like one issue if I wanted to check out a new series but didn't want to commit to it. But I'm at a weird place where I really like where my collection is at. Like pretty much everything I own is stuff that I really care about and would reread again. Right. And I really love the way I'm collecting Saga, which is these compendium books. They're presented really beautifully in in, uh, um, hardcover books um, with a lot of extra stuff. So I know I want to continue that. And I know they sell really well for image. So I'm sure they're going to collect the next section. But I also can't wait that long. So my conundrum is like, do I buy these individual issues because I really want to find out what's going on, but then I'll just have randomly like issue 55 through 70 or whatever in my collection. The single issues are good because they have a lot of back matter that they don't reprint. So if you you really like Saga, I would recommend single issues. I'm going to be buying the single issues as well, even though I'm not caught up. Um, Well... What do you mean by back matter? There's a lot of stuff like behind the scenes stuff, interviews. um, Yeah, that'll all be in the digital comic, though. That's what I've decided to do. They are? Yeah, yeah. The digital comic is literally just scans of the comic. Oh, okay. Um, So I have decided, 
even though I only have kind of a crappy tablet, I'm going to um, get the individual issues there and then buy the compendiums when they come out because, um, yeah, I just, if it was like a matter of waiting for a trade paperback where it's like six issues, I might do just wait or something like that. But the idea of waiting like 30 issues is not happening and I don't want to add 30 single issues to my collection. How many issues is Saga up to before it comes back out? 54. 60-ish, yeah, around there. There, I think it's 54, 54. Because there's a trade paperback that has all 54 issues for $35 on eBay. Yeah, that's yeah. the big, huge, soft cover bound one. Yeah, that is buy that right now. That's pretty stripped <laughs> out as far as like extra stuff. But yeah, the, the next issue that I, comes out I is 55. I have of the single issues, but I, I don't feel like reading individual issues. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a cool way to do it. I have the... um, That one is the one called a compendium, I think. The ones that I have just say Dude. like... Book well, one, some, book two, some of book these three. Issues like issue 11, $20. Issue 50, $10. Crazy yeah. how expensive some of these are. So, yeah, I'm going to buy digital um, for Saga going forward. I have the first 12 issues because I bought them individually and I did not want to get rid of them. I'm sure they're worth some decent I, money. I still don't like the idea of buying digital media. Like, you pay the same price for just like the license to read or watch something or play something. Um, mm. reading digitally is fine. Like if I'm going to rent it from a library, fine. If I'm going to torrent it, fine. I don't want to pay for something that could just disappear. Well, eventually I'm going to double dip anyways. So I don't need two copies of it in physical form. That's the way I see it. And that's what I'm doing. But Jimmy, you're paying for it anyway, come on, Jeff, you the, but you could resell the physical copy. I'm not gonna though. It's going to sit on my shelf, taking up space. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, what are you talking yourself into? Uh, so as we have alluded to before, we are year three of Talk Me Into, which is mind-boggling for me. I haven't really done anything consistently throughout that. So, um, of course, with Talk Me Into, we also have a lot of other things going on as well. We have so discussions, as we discussed before. Um, I have Leech of the Game, which I've been kind of like putting off to the side. But, you know, eventually I'd like to get back into it. And like I just want to make YouTube videos in general because that's what I enjoy doing. So I've been talking myself into scheduling my personal projects. Wow. I have put the time into working on a big schedule and I've already done it. I could share it with you guys later if you're very interested to see. But I have a schedule, a two-week schedule where I'll basically repeat um, where I am scheduling time to do talk me into homework slash talk me into editing, things like that. Um, editing so discussions, posting uh, talk me into posting so discussions, doing Patreon content, and um, I've also scheduled time that I'm going to be putting my personal time and effort into making personal YouTube videos. And, okay, uh, it's yeah, it's 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 a lot, but like I I feel like I've been putting like my personal like uh like spin on things kind of on the wayside, so. Uh, that's what I've been kind of like trying to talk myself into is trying to get back into uh, just like obviously I'm doing this whole big thing where I'm not on social media. I'm trying not to like dilly dally anymore. I just like to do some stuff that I feel proud of. And that's what uh, this whole big accumulation has been. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've been talking myself. In the words into. of Dan Mueller and so discussions. I like that. 
<laughs> I like that. I, I um, do like that, Jim. I, it reminds me between the leaving social media and the creating a schedule and stuff. It, it's like you're going on some sort of like a Travis Bickle, like taxi driver regimenting your life. Like can't <laughs> wait for you to decide that it's in your best interest to assassinate a politician. Yeah, I don't love that comparison, but uh, yeah, that's basically where, where I'm kind of at. I've got to get and, my body uh, in shape. I've got to get my mind in shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I've even given myself like free time too. like Mondays are, are for me and hanging out with the partner and, uh, you know, like um, Jimmy. Yeah. You what? didn't just mention them on the podcast. That's oh, bad. Oh, no, I don't out. know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Um so did you yeah, put anything I mean, like, on your schedule that says like scratch behind uh pumpkin's ears <laughs> no five I minutes did not do that but um i've i've even like considered doing like little like subsections too where i'm like all right here are some like uh little points where i could do like so this is what i gotta do for so discussions like oh i gotta um i don't know just like basically just scheduling it all out is, is very nice. i wish and, uh, i had the luxury of Ugh. the ability to do that now which i don't because with a child you just can't yeah. like i just know like i have two hours every night to die after um <laughs> before i go to bed but like even before that i just didn't have like the the willpower to stick to some kind of schedule right and i'm a i'm a 27 year old uh bachelor so i can just do that yeah i mean when i was 27 i was making dick jokes on a three-year-old podcast that i regret so now you're just making dick jokes on a podcast that you don't regret yeah ironically jimmy and i don't make that many dick jokes that's mostly you jeff (laughs) it's mostly you oh oh oh. okay so in jeff's head we're all just equally (laughs) making the same dick jokes I don't make too many dick jokes. If anything, I make dick references. It's not for... Okay, fellas, we are talking about a movie that um, I don't have a ton of familiar- familiarity with. But I did want to touch upon um, at least one of the Studio Ghibli movies on uh, Talk Me Into. Because they are incredibly popular and they're very well regarded. Um, and this particular movie, My Neighbor Totoro, was uh, directed by Miyazaki, who is like uh, the guy who is like best known for making the Studio Ghibli movies. Yeah, dude, like, Miyazaki ninjas rule. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he made the movie... He, Obviously, he made uh, My Neighbor Totoro. He made... Um, Princess Mononoke. See. That's the Princess only one I've Mononoke. seen. Mononoke. Yep. Spirited Away. Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, Ponyo. Loves Ham. And, uh, yep. And, um, yeah, it's basically... Uh, it, it, I think this is probably, like, the first movie that kind of, like, put Studio Ghibli in the uh, mainstream, at least in my opinion. Um the basic plot, I mean, it, it's a pretty simple plot, is that um, I believe this family moves to um, this section of, I, I believe, Japan, where um, they're kind of like in the woods and stuff like that. And a whole bunch of craziness happens. And we'll talk about it more in the second half. But uh, I saw this movie for the first time at uh, friend of the show Cooper's daughter's birthday. Um, <laughs> before COVID happens, we uh, rented out a movie theater and we showed my neighbor Totoro and that was the first time that I saw it and I was like that was really good it was like really um really cute and like really like iconic and like a lot of the shots and stuff I was just like oh I've seen that before like the cat bus is in here you'll probably recognize it as soon as you see it 
uh totoro is kind of like this big like goofy guy he's, he's basically like the icon of studio ghibli you'll see um in this movie as well and um i i believe you guys don't have any exposure to this right do not no no i've i haven't seen any of them except recently when i had a um a card to best video which is a video store in hamden connecticut mm. when i mm-hmm. lived around there um my wife uh likes ponyo and she's like let's rent ponyo and i was like anything for you baby let's destroy mm-hmm. the world together and be the only ones left and we rented it and i watched it and it was better than i thought it would be um it's just like a cute kids movie it right. wasn't like and, and i know like from the outside that miyazaki movies are it's like the japanese disney right so right. It's, it's not like these animes that i hate um, it doesn't follow a lot of the same tropes, the same styles. It seems to mm-hmm. be kind of like his own thing. Where like Disney has a style, like this is what a Disney human looks like. Um, it's kind of like mm. that. He has his own like world. It might not be a shared universe, but it's the same like style of animation, style of character design. Yeah, that's a definitely that's definitely a good point. Is that um, it doesn't have a lot of like the big anime tropes that people complain about it's not like a uh like a waifu kind of yeah um, it's like anime. I, always, I always complain like you know in whatever american animation whether it's good or not it has different right. styles like every, every show might look different every creator might have their own style of show right whereas to me a lot of anime is homogenous and just and they take pride in that that's their thing do it um but this is what i want more out of like japanese animation is mm-hmm. something to set it apart, something new that I haven't seen, just For a sure. different style. Yeah, I mean, even just like character design, I think that you guys are going to be um, maybe not impressed, but I think from a character design, Relieved. like with the different creatures and stuff, yeah, for sure. It's definitely very different. Definitely feels like you were comparing it to like Disney. Like it definitely is very iconic. And like, I remember when I was a kid, um, I had like on VHS tapes, they were like advertising Howl's Moving Castle. And that was actually the first Miyazaki movie that I watched was because when I was in class, somebody was showing a clip from that. I was like, oh, my God. Like, that just, like, threw me back to, like, 1998. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I see that. And they, you know, I I know it from just, like, pop culture and seeing the ads, too. They did release a lot of those in American theaters, like, with dubs. And then, like, Fathom Events will have the undubbed original version or whatever. Mm, Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean... I would definitely um, say just watch the dubbed version. I think it's fine for these kinds of movies. I think they're pretty well known for using like established American actors to do the dubs. Yep. Um, I, I, the only one I've seen is Princess Mononoke. And I remember enjoying it. I, I like the fantastical elements. I liked, you know, that it was sort of a heartwarming story. Uh, but I remember being a little bored by it. So I'm hoping that... My neighbor Totoro is a little bit, um, I don't know, like the plot moves a little bit faster, but I'm mm. I'm sort of upbeat for this. Like like you guys both alluded to, I've seen the advertisements for the Fathom events, and there have been a couple that I've been interested right. in, but never enough to actually drop the money to go see them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited think, yeah, for this. I think Billy Crystal is a fireplace. That's all I know about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. Um, but yeah, so we're going to watch My Neighbor Totoro. I believe all the Miyazaki movies are on uh, HBO Max, so you can watch those pretty yeah, accessibly on there. Yeah, I think they have a Studio Ghibli like, portal on Section, yep. Yep, which is pretty cool. 
uh, because they're not streaming anywhere else in America. That was a big deal when it got announced for that. Maybe I'll watch um, this one with my niece. She's a burgeoning anime girl. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure no. Evie would like it. <laughs> most most kids nowadays are into anime. Yeah. Um, which is why I chose this episode. Um, so, yeah, when we come back, we're going to be talking about My Neighbor Totoro and spoiling it. So please watch along with us for our third year anniversary. It would be very nice. Oh, enjoy that a lot. Love it. If you're even real. <laughs> Totoro, Totoro, my neighbor, Totoro. That's how the tune goes. But I don't know if those are the words because it's translated from a different language and I don't think there are words anyway. But when they played that song, that's what I heard in my head. There there was words and yeah. and they were almost as dumb as the words that you just say. <laughs> well, Clearly the, they were translated and probably had yeah, more yeah. nuance in the original language. The opening song, Definitely. I was watching this and I was like, is this a Nick Jr. show? Where's Face? Is Face going to show up? Hi there, Face here. <laughs> it was cute. Reference. Cute nice. opening it sequence. Fine. Uh, the first thing that I was worried about, not that it was an anime, because I know Miyazaki is, he's a, a tier above the anime that I dislike. But when I saw Dakota <laughs> Fanning's name, I was like, oh man, this is probably like kid Dakota Fanning, who is the mm-hmm. absolute worst to watch in a movie because when she was a, I don't know about now I haven't seen anything she's been in, in like 10 years but like everything I've ever seen her in she's just like crying and screaming and her voice is so shrill and when this is a cartoon it's going to be voices and um I wasn't totally wrong uh <laughs> it was yeah I didn't realize like war of the worlds Dakota Fanning but <laughs> it was it was still pretty grating at times Oh, I don't. I disagree. I didn't even notice that it was Dakota Fanning until the end of the movie when I watched those. Um, and I don't it? know. It was her and her sister, I believe. I don't know which one played which, mm-hmm. but like May was a lot more annoying than the. Yeah, other but I mean, one. she's a toddler, so they yeah. do get whiny at points. That's fine. I mean, it's it's kind of it. It actually was pretty good. Um, if you compare like the original Japanese audio, which I didn't watch for this, but when you watch like subbed animes, it kind of matches mm-hmm. that like shrill tone of a lot of the younger female characters. So I get it. I'm sure it, it works fine. I just don't, I don't Jeff. like young Dakota Fanning. Jeff out the gate with the generalizations. Love I it. Am. Love yeah. it on an anime episode. Well, you have to compare it because I don't have I don't have much exposure as much exposure to anime or Miyazaki as other people. So yeah, I'm going to compare it to what I know. Um, but it's just funny because you only know three things, so you're comparing it to those three things. And I probably know what, I probably know a dozen. Um, really? Yeah. We'll we'll talk about comparisons later. Overall. You know, I'm not going to tell you what I think now, but overall, I think that it was better than what my general perception of anime is. Mm. Well, that's good. I'm glad that we're going there. I think we talked about in the first one because I have seen Ponyo. So it's, you know, it's it's like that. Obviously, it's it's a little different than like generic anime to me. Okay, so there's not a ton of plot, I would say, in this movie. It's not a big plot heavy movie. It's it's more a. 
I don't know. It's it's just this heartwarming sort of family story coming of age type thing. Yeah, it's not right up like Jimmy's a, alley a for the eyes. It's not even like a character study. It's more of just like, yeah, like Jimmy said, uh, a feast for your eyes and um, it's heartwarming. Yeah, I would argue that it is about a young girl coming to terms with she's definitely like moving out of her adolescence this feels like a last hurrah into the fantastical bits of childhood as she's forced mm-hmm. to come to terms with some more serious adult things like her mysteriously sick mother who we never find out what's wrong with her i don't right. think that's the point you know you could it could be cancer or oh i agree i actually yeah. i actually like that it's not defined because this film is very much told from um may's POV point of view yeah. and I don't know exactly how old May is. Maybe 10, 11, four. somewhere around there. May is four. Oh, four. Oh, May is the younger one. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, What's the older one's name? I don't remember. Satsuki. Satsuki. It's told from Satsuki's point of view primarily. And she's like 10 or 11. And a 10 or 11-year-old would know enough that their mom is sick and can't come home. And that would be upsetting. Right. But probably wouldn't know all the details of why they're sick. So, uh, Jeff, you want to tell us a little bit about, like, I don't know, like the opening third of this movie? It's, it's centered yeah. around them, the family moving into a new house. Yeah, this is a this is an hour and a half movie. And so the first third would be the first half hour. And it's funny because I, I was writing down 30 minutes in and there's still no Totoro. Uh, they're just like <laughs> settling into the house. And as I was typing that, you see the little tiny Totoro. I thought it was Totoro at first, the, like the bunny the little white one. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guy. like, oh, this is a ghost. I don't know what's going on here. But yeah, so the, the first third of the movie, like Jimmy said, it's a feast for the eyes. I was struck at how visually pleasing it was. Like, mm-hmm. if you compare this to Disney, because it often gets compared to Disney, and Disney is kind of like a frame of reference for Americans or Westerners. Um, American the, animation. Yeah. The, um, the vehicles and the landscapes and like everything other than the people the people are a different story, but just specifically these things are very realistic, a lot more than Disney. Disney might have like, you know, a nice opening montage. If you're talking about like Bambi or something, you have the woods and it's soft and it's nice, but this is a lot more realistic and just like everything moves really smoothly. And, you know, this might be because it's like a 4k, whatever. Um, But like even the use of shadows and lighting are really fluid and, if you compare it then to anime, anime a lot of times is like a lot of stills that they just like move a mouth over. You get some of that in here, but not a lot. But like just just the backgrounds have so many different layers. And I, I just a lot of that, movement. Yeah, there is a lot of movement in it. And even when which is really nice, even when there's not like specific things like there might not necessarily be like, you know, bees flying around a flower and every single flower petal, the leaves are moving. But when you get like a shot of like this background, they it is kind of like the old Disney movies and like Snow White when there's actually layers, you know, drawn on acetate or whatever. I don't know how they did this because this movie was in the 80s, I think. Right. Yeah. Late 80s. I yeah. think it's 88, which also is impressive because it looks a lot newer than that. Uh, maybe it's yeah, just for sure. The the remastered version, but yeah, I'm just I I did really like that. Even when they're going to the house for the first time, a bus drives by, and like the reflection on the glass, like you see like the yeah. light sh- shining off the glass, is just done really well. So it's interesting. I was just looking up 
uh, a comparison of Miyazaki's frame rates versus classic Disney frame rates. And I I was conjecturing that Miyazaki would be higher because I agree that everything seems to flow more smoothly and feel um, more naturalistic. Uh, and they're actually the same. So I guess it's just hmm. a different style, um, a different. Um, might just there's be certain things. It yeah, just, it might be a little softer. Some of the some of the motion in the like grass and water shots are really impressive, like way better than what Disney was doing at this time. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I wonder if it's this, like a different is, medium. This is around like if they're using like Little Mermaid, right? So I guess it would be fair to compare those two movies. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, as Jeff said, the family's moving into this house. Um, I didn't realize. I guess I sort of didn't focus on the time frame because I'm not an expert in the, you know, cultural history of Japan. But apparently, this film takes place in the 1950s. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I I kind of assumed it would be like modern times, but it's not. I mean, I mean, I felt like it was just from the vehicles and like the phone yeah. and I don't right. know. So, yeah, but some of like the bathing situations and stuff are a little archaic. But I I also was like, hey, this feels like a city family that's moving out to the country, which is kind of what you can infer. So it mm-hmm. could be just a difference in lifestyle. But either way, I don't I don't think that really matters. It's it's a pretty timeless well, that story. That's yeah. I was going to say that just stand makes this movie stand up to time because it is a timeless story and it doesn't matter what time frame it's set in. Like yeah. if this was set in the 80s, maybe you would have seen like a TV or technology that were right. Know, uh, put it in that era. But you don't. Um, but it's I mean, very much this. It's this family that feels out of place moving into this new house, this new village, taking on this new lifestyle as farmers. It's a father and his two daughters. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, the mother is in a nearby hospital. She's she's ill. She's been ill for a long time, but there's some hope that she's going to be getting out soon. Yeah. And, and, um, and yeah. before we do actually get into like the fantastical, there's mm-hmm. some fantasy stuff in here, like the little so- goblins. Um, yeah. And then uh, that lady who they refer to as Granny shows up and she tells yeah. them about them. And you're like, oh, it's like ghosts or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is the big bad. She's pretending to be a nice little grandma, but she's going to do. No, something she's just big. nice. Well, we find out she's just nice, but I don't know that. Like, because by the end of the movie, one of the notes I wrote down was that there's no enemy. There's no villain, right? right? Which, <laughs> yeah, that's which true. Disney has. Disney has, like, if you compare it to Little Mermaid, has Ursula. You know, around the same time period, you have Scar, you have Jafar, you have these insidious people that, you know, to to move the plot and story ahead, that's what you have. But this, you don't. And, like, well, Jeff, as I'm watching this, I don't know if Totoro is a friend. I don't know if he's going to be a foil. You know, it's called my neighbor Totoro. That just means that there's this big monster next door. I don't know what he's going to be. So, so at that's this point in the movie, I think that maybe Granny is this this bad person that's trying to like sneak into this uh, nice little family's life. Yeah. So it's interesting. I didn't have that reaction to the Granny character, um, but I do want to like circle back to this at the end of our our plot discussion because I do have some interesting takes on what the overall quote unquote villain of this uh, film is. But, but I want to get into what Jeff referenced. So, so there's an interesting thing at play here um, that you see in real life with kids, which is that 
in moments of like huge upheaval and change in their lifestyle, sometimes small children will like develop these fantastical elements in their life as a way to explain their feelings and sort of justify a feelings of out of place or fear or concern. Um, but they're like in this state of uneasiness. They're in a new environment. Uh, they don't mm-hmm. have their mother. They don't know anything. They're starting a new school. So what happens? They find uh, soot goblins in their house. And as much as like I thought the actual depiction and some of the scenes of them going after the soot monsters was a little like, I don't know, a little corny as an adult watcher. If I take a step back and I look at like what that represents, I love the reaction of the adults. So like rather than just be like, no, there's no such thing like that doesn't exist. They're the like, adults, yeah, there's little little soot monsters in there. And they're going to. Yeah. Get the father and then granny like go along with it. And and I think it's a really like sweet way of acclimating these kids to this new environment is like now they've given them a mission like, oh, track down the soot monsters. And they also. Well, yeah, I mean, if. If you well, that's how I personified coronavirus. They're just little monsters trying to get you. Just assume they're <laughs> everywhere, and then you'll be safe. But also, they don't up the fear ante. They kind of like make them cute, and they basically say like, "Oh, if they can tell that you're good people, then they'll leave on their own." So it like I don't know. It's just like a fun culturally. It's different because the idea of having ghosts or goblins in your house is not something that most American kids would be too jived about. But because they put like a positive spin on it and and possibly also like through translation, the meaning of goblin and ghost could be different. Like they may have a separate word for like a good ghost or a good creature that we don't have. So it just got lumped into ghost and goblin. But uh, I I really like the way this was like handled is is the adults sort of allowed the children to play in this fantasy world as a way to get them comfortable with this new life. Yeah, for sure, too. And also just a lot of stuff with like, I know a lot of obviously uh, Japan has a a big like Shinto um, uh, religion um, and plus like a lot of like those just like the thought of like spirits and stuff in your house and stuff are just like commonplace. Exactly. That's just like what they believe in and and whatever. And like, I, I mean, obviously it's like, oh, we have like little sprites in our house or whatever. But like in like the the reality of the world that we're set in, it does really feel like, oh, that's just how this world is. Like, we just have, like, spirits in our house. Yeah, I mean, most families do have a shrine for ancestors, and we see later on in the rain scene that they take shelter from the pouring rain in, like, an outdoor shrine for someone, and they're like, Mm -hmm. grandfather, thank you for letting us stay under your roof, and it's like this idea that in that culture, um, growing up, you're taught to be comfortable with the idea that the spirits of you know fallen ancestors are all around you like you're you're living with them and stuff so i i I agree jim i think that was like a really sweet way to convey you know that kids grow up with that and they extrapolate it and interpolate interpret it in their own way to deal with like their own issues of having a new house for sure but uh plot wise i mean there's some stuff in here that I didn't really grasp fully. Uh, what did you guys take from like the neighbor boy who like is constantly running around but doesn't like want to talk to them or go in their house? He ends up like doing a nice deed for them, sharing his umbrella. But I don't I didn't really know what to make of this. I felt like there was going to be a subplot about him that we didn't really get. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I thought that too because I thought maybe he's just there to show that something is like up with the house. Like maybe exactly, you know, maybe Totoro comes to that house and they're afraid of him because still we haven't met the titular character. Um, <laughs> later on, there's this. I mean, we're jumping around. There's spoilers for the whole movie, but when they're looking for May at the end and he's helping to look for May, he's just like, "Oh yeah, they found a shoe in the lake." <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. dark. It was really dark, but it was the delivery just had me rolling because it was really out of nowhere and and poorly executed. I thought, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it just kind of seemed to me that he was just the messenger boy. I don't think he was really like yeah. supposed to be a mean character or anything. I, he was literally just there to move the plot forward. My but first he, reaction was the same as Jeff, which is like, oh, he knows that their house is haunted or that there's a Totoro living nearby. And then when that didn't really play out, my second reaction was like, oh, maybe he has a crush on Setsuki because like little kids sometimes like when they develop feelings, little boys act weird. They're like mean or quiet or whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. None of those things came to play. So he was just a weird, quiet, like kind of misbehaving. He might have been there neighbor. for like the little boy audience maybe. because the two main <laughs> protagonists were female. Which that in and of itself I appreciated, especially for like 1980s animated films. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of how um, Totoro is first introduced. We we know May, May meets him first. The little, the little white Totoro uh, who she chases, and he's like a ghost. So I'm like, okay, Totoro's like a ghost. It's haunting this place. And then she finds another one, and I'm like, oh, that's Totoro because it's bigger. And then she yeah. chases them through the woods to find the big old Snorlax. I'm like, all right, what's going on here? Which one is Totoro? Are they all Totoro? Is this the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost? What's happening here? Um, but when she was going to find Totoro the first time, like running through the woods, going back to our original conversation about, you know, how it looks, that was an amazing sequence in the woods. Mm-hmm. With just like the light going through the trees and... It, it brought me back personally to my youth, the place I live. We would always just play in the woods. So yeah. whenever I think about childhood, I'm always thinking about running in the woods and like the light going through the trees and the scenery. And it was very similar. And, you know, we would we would do things too, like pretend like if we found a rock that looked like a chair. Well, guess what? That's a throne now. And whoever sits yeah. on this is the king. Shit mm-hmm. like that. So then she so, lands on this big guy's belly. And then I related to that because I'm like, oh, this is like when I'm laying down and Jeffrina crawls on me. Because I'm a, I'm a big old blob, and she's just this little girl. Um, Jeffrina so, yeah. is your baby for your new listeners. Yeah, that's my baby. Um, yeah, and then, you know, like, Totoro's kind of sleepy and trying to wake up, and she's trying to wake him up, and he's got, like, big old teeth, and he he's like, Totoro, which I didn't expect that kind of voice. <laughs> uh, for him, I thought he was either going to not say anything or be like, oh, I'm Totoro, ha, ha, ha. But it, yeah, was, I mean, it wasn't even like his name. It was just like a sound that he made. Yeah. I So I like what Jeff said a lot, which is uh, it's it's perfect that Totoro and these creatures live in the woods, because like when you're a kid running around the woods, the difference between childhood and adulthood is like a narrowing of possibilities because adults know what's possible and what's not possible. You're your understanding of what could possibly exist in the woods is narrowed. Whereas like these little kids, they live half in fantasy world, half in real world. So like the idea of having this large tree is cool in and of itself. But as a kid, 
within that tree there could be a whole magic world and within that world there could be sprites and wood spirits and things like that and i i think that s- sequence really captured that beautifully and the idea that totoro is this like anthropomorphic creature that doesn't speak but conveys his emotion and it gets in- interpreted as totoro by may just based on the sounds he makes i thought that was really cute i was worried that totoro was going to be like a fully speaking character and i'm <laughs> i'm glad he wasn't i'm glad he was just like this like happy creature thing that you know made weird sounds literally the most wholesome piece of content i think i've ever seen is just like just totoro just in general he's just standing there he's all happy yeah however it's to cute. jeff's point for a film named my neighbor totoro totoro is not in this movie very much he's in about no, he's five not. minutes total of the entire movie yeah, I think it works though. Either, so, I think it works because if you had like a Totoro plot where like Totoro had to do something, uh, it could be like more ridiculous than it is. The fact mm. that he just like shows up unexpectedly and like really, so this is sort of what I wanted to touch on later about what's really happening. If you separate the fantastical elements from this story, is like when Totoro shows up he's only there to like comfort the girls. So mm-hmm. like whenever they're in a, a tough situation, their their dad's not showing up and they're nervous, Totoro shows up. When they don't know what's going on with their mom, Totoro shows up. When May goes missing, Totoro shows up. So it's a really like perfect way of like anthropomorphizing like a like comfort blanket. You know, little kids have these things that they cling to when they need comfort and i just thought that was like a really adorable way to convey that well yeah but then if totoro is just kind of like is not real right just this this thing that helps them along and this whole entire magical forest because we establish that it is kind of magical or no well don't you say maybe not because when they're running through the bush and then they run out the other side that mm-hmm. could be either that it's magical or that they actually were just making it up or th- believing that it was real Anyway, in this whole world, like this forest, this magical forest, you have three sized Totoros and a cat that's actually a hollowed out bus or a bus that's actually a hollowed out cat. Yeah. Those yeah. are the only creatures there. I was hoping for more creatures, to be honest. I mean, do you think these creatures really exist? Because I think these are just what the girls imagine. Jim? I, I want to say that they do exist because how would they get to certain places? Right. You know what I mean? Like Totoro does assist them physically. Yeah. I mean, in my head canon, like this is all actually happening just because like, I like the, um, anthropomorph anthropomorphizing, like the forest spirits and like all of that stuff. I just think it's like very cool and like quintessentially Japanese, but like, yeah, I mean, I definitely do get uh, Dan's perspective on it being like, oh, it's all in their heads. They're all making this up because their lives are kind of shitty right now. I don't think um, it really matters either way. But the only two no, things that I would point out to sort of like whether they exist or not, the filmmaker purposely keeps them that ambiguous is that right. when the girls try to show their father Totoro. Mm-hmm. Doesn't show up. He doesn't show up. They try to take him to the tree. Nothing's there. And then also when there's that image of Totoro growing the acorns into this huge tree in their front yard, the next morning, 
uh, what's the main character's name? Satsuki. Mm -hmm. She is really excited because the acorns have sprouted, but the tree's not there. You know what I'm saying? So there's enough evidence for her. But from an adult perspective, he's just going to say, well, you planted these acorns and now they sprouted like that's what happens. Right. So uh, either way, I like that it's ambiguous. So we get yeah, we get sure. hints in the last like 20 minutes of the movie that the mom's not doing well because the hospital sent a telegram tell or asking the dad to show up. Right. So for a while, I'm like, oh, this mom's dead or she's about to die and it's going to be real sad. And you see that in like even Satsuki says it to me like, you know, do you want or mom's going to die. And she says to granny, like she's probably already dead. And I'm like, this is really dark for a kid's movie. Cause like yeah. going back and comparing it to Disney movies, you do have dark stuff. Bambi's mom gets shot in front of him. Um, right. and, and not Disney, like Littlefoot, the classic example, like his parents die in front of him. There's a lot of death, hmm. but it's, it's with animals. So while you feel emotions for like, like, you know, People of our age, everyone's like, Littlefoot's mom died. It's so sad. His parents died. But those are dinosaurs. Like, nobody's ever seen a dinosaur. So, like, there's there's a <laughs> few levels of separation. But when you have these human characters that are set in a more realistic world, in a more realistic looking world, it gets darker and more emotional. And I don't know. Like, so this whole movie, I'm watching it kind of as, like, okay, will I or will I not watch this again? And then I'm thinking, will I show this to my daughter when she's of the right age, right? So you're Mm -hmm. watching this and you're like, this is whimsical. They're in the woods. They find a a big old cute fluffy guy. Maybe Jeffrina will want like a stuffed animal of this character if she likes the movie. And then you get to this and I'm like, oh, this is a lot older. Like you can't show this to like, I mean, I guess you could show it to a five-year-old. Maybe they wouldn't get it, but there's like an age in there where this might be too much for somebody you know what i mean like yeah i think it might be one of the i mean like when we were kids we just watched whatever right well, like we, yeah, it wasn't we, necessarily we started something. this recording session talking about watching like beheading videos so yeah <laughs> you've been exposed to a lot of yeah. bad things yeah i mean a so, lot of stuff just goes over your head when you're yeah, younger that's that's what and, i wanted to say so jeff the thing is like you're right in that once a kid realizes the the depth of like how serious the situation it is right it becomes dark but younger kids are going to watch this and just be like, oh, something bad happened and they're upset. Yeah. Also, I would further go on to say that this is OK because we find out that it's not serious. The movie right. sort of takes a step back. Yeah, but not sh- for a while. Right. But the fact that they don't just like the father says, oh, it's only a cold. It will be all right. That's not as comforting. But the fact that it comes back to show the mother and she's like, oh, I'm sorry they worried you. It's just a cold. Then you're like, and there's the scene of her reading to May from the book, and it's just like, oh, like you can breathe again, like everything's okay. And plus, Toto, Totoro shows up, yeah, so, yeah, distracting the the younger kids. So I want to talk a little bit about what I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> which is that you know Jeff talked about who is the villain or like what is the uh, Time what is the main growing up exactly. To me, the the villain of this film is adult problems (laughs) and like so like the adult world and adult seriousness comes crashing into this film with that phone call or the telegram about the hospital so in that moment we see like the difference between the girls based on like their level of maturity so satsuki is like 
forced to like age up and become serious and she's like okay i'm gonna go to the kid's uncle's house and make a phone call to my dad like that's a lot of responsibility for like a 10 year old and may who's younger can't handle that now granny is like the worst babysitter ever because how many times in this movie do we see may just run away from her yeah and she like can't make her stop and also can't go after her so may is just running wild through uh, a maze of hedges but uh yeah i mean if you look at like if you take a step back after we watch this film and you look at like how the tension rises and falls and what the climax is that really is where the problem is introduced into the film and it's odd because it comes so late um, but I also appreciate that it turns into May missing, which sort of stretches the issue because if that hadn't happened, then once Satsuki makes the phone call, the problem is solved. So right. May going missing and there being this search and then Totoro and the cat bus like help find May is, uh, Yeah, that's like an interesting one. I've been trying to wrap my head around it because if my sort of thesis of this movie is that it's about children using fantastical elements to come to terms with growing up, that is the one sequence that sort of breaks that because how did she find May? You know what I'm saying? Like, theoretically, if this was a true coming of age story, she would have to find May on her own and realize that she doesn't need these fantastical wood spirits, that she has the abilities inside of her to do it herself. Mm. So, uh, I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? And like this idea that there is no true villain that just like real life issues are the villain. Yeah. I mean, there is no villain. It's not. Like that, that was the point of me bringing that up. If you want to get deeper, like, yeah, aging, coming to age, adulthood, that's the not maybe not enemy or foe, but that right. is the force that they're fighting against. Um, yeah. But like, yeah. You, you don't need a villain for this story. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it almost feels like because there's no con- there's no real conflict in this movie. So it's when it ends. You're like, okay, that that's over. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I would say there's not a conflict, but there is an emotional climax. And yeah, no, there the is. question is, is that enough for you to, like, enjoy this as a film? Mm. Um, oh, I enjoyed I it, but... I don't know, is it? Yeah, I mean, mm. here's a, a, another question I want to pose, because we're pretty much through the plot. I mean, we referenced that. Right. They yeah, find May... They go to the hospital. Mom is okay. It's just a temporary setback. She's going to be coming home the following week. Um, So here's another question I wanted to pose to Jeff, and maybe Jimmy can rebut it. Jeff, do you think that there's enough Totoro in this film? (laughs) Notoro. I think think there should be more. Um, I I tend to agree with you. for, For a movie that is... Obviously, it has its audiences. It has its adult audiences. Um, As a movie that I assume is originally made for children, marketed towards children or or a younger audience, I think that there should have been more um, of fantasy because, yeah, this this felt if you if this was just a live action movie, right, then it's it's an indie movie. It's an A24 movie. Kids don't give a shit about that. (laughs) Kids want to see Totoro. They want to see a cat bus. That's what they want to see. 
It's um, for sure a it, slow burn. and it, It's an exceptionally slow burn. So, yeah, I think that this would have benefited from having more Totoro, more creatures, more of the whimsy and the fantasy that makes it attractive, not only to children, but to people that like this type of movie. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I kind of disagree. Like, I, I definitely think that the moments where, like, they are, like, these big fantasy moments are so exceptional that, like, it, I don't know. It's just, like, too much of that, I think, would be, like, just, like, a slog. Like, like obviously, stuff nowadays, like, whenever, whatever kids watch nowadays, it's just, like, constant, like, movement. Oh, my God, this is adorable. Right. Love it. But, like, well, the, I don't so know. There's a movie that I just had to Google the name because I forgot. It's from 2016. It's called A Monster Calls. And it stars Liam Neepum. Uh, Liam Neeson <laughs> as like this ant creature, right? And thinking about that, I just thought about it now. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but it's the same kind of thing. There's this five-year-old kid and there's this creature in the woods who kind of becomes like this, you know, protective figure over him. And if memory serves mm -hmm. me correctly, oh, a child whose mother is terminally ill. So is this just my neighbor Totoro Americanized? <laughs> I don't know. But there's enough of the monster, the titular monster, where you get the the heavy emotional parts, but then you also get, wow, this is cool. Look at this creature. Um, and, you know, maybe, I don't know how this movie was received. Uh, it looks like it bombed. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, so I'm going to say 86 that. on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not like a, it's not a stinker, but I think yeah. that if there was more of the titular character, it would have been a little bit better. So I, I kind of agree with both of you, and I guess my, like, one question, and maybe this comes down to cultural differences, but I feel like if the scene with the soot goblins had been one of the mini Totoros, it would have worked better, because... Right. Mm. Uh, maybe, like, culturally, there is some touch point to those creatures, so you're already in the mindset that fantastical things are happening in this world, but, like... If you're an eight-year-old kid and you're waiting for Totoro to show up, it's a while before Totoro shows up. Mm. Yeah. It's well, I mean, we're long. picking nits here. I just yeah, of sort of wanted to see, like, like, who you guys thought this film was marketed towards. And maybe it was marketed towards kids, but I, mean, I have maybe, a feeling. I mean, obviously, attention spans over the last three decades have changed. For um, sure. Film, filmmaking has changed. Uh, the the amount of cuts per video have changed. If you want to blame YouTube for that, uh, you can. Because I feel like the people watching My Neighbor Totoro now are people like Jimmy who are watching it nostalgically and not yes. so much new 10-year-olds. Right. Oh, I never watched it when I was a kid. I watched it recently. Well, well yeah, so you watched it to my point. Adult. So that kind of, yeah. we're watching it as, I'm watching it as almost a 40-year-old father for the first time. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, even if you can, but I think we're outside like of Little that mermaid, little mermaid was action packed. There's songs. It's flashy. Maybe the audience in Japan at that time was a little bit different um, mm. than what we might be used to. So Jimmy, let's that. just, let's just get to final pushes and overall thoughts. How about that? Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Um, I mean, I've obvious final push for Jeff. I mean, I think this is a perfect movie to show your kid. Um, I think that obviously the really adorable parts are just are just worth it on their own. But also, obviously, there's a lot of like really good messaging and stuff in here as well. 
And um, yeah. I guess my final push like for when Dan, things get serious, run out to the woods where no one can find yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I, this movie definitely does feel, even though I never grew up watching this, it does feel very nostalgic for me. Um, just like I remember being a kid and watching uh, VHS tapes or whatever. And I remember them having like Miyazaki previews and in, in there. I'm always like, wow, those are so cool. Like fantastical worlds or whatever. It just brings like a it brings a whimsy that I don't think that uh, especially a lot of modern Disney movies don't really bring you anymore. Right. And um, I, I just think that it, it's very. I don't know. It's just a fantastical world that you can really dive into. And there's like obviously i'm talking you into totoro but there's like a dozen or so miyazaki movies that you could sink your teeth into as well that have more adult themes or have more um uh maybe some less maybe even more like kitty movies that you'd be more comfortable showing jeffrina in the future but um that's my kind of final push is that um there's there's just so much to it jeff you have any Uh, overall thoughts overall overall thoughts it it looks amazing it's just visually stunning and appealing. Um, we didn't talk about it at all, and I did no research into it, but the score is really good. It matches yeah, up it with the movie well. It does what a score is supposed to do. It puts you in the right mood. It sets tones. It's, it is really good. It's, it's not like John Williams good, but it's on that level. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, negatives. I think there should have been more Totoro. It's super slow burn. Um, if we're judging it on who the audience is supposed to be, I don't think that, I mean, clearly it's a very famous movie, so it, it, it knows more. It found an audience. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a super slow burn and yes, I do have a daughter who I'll be showing movies to when she gets a little bit older. Will this keep her attention? I don't know. It's not, we don't show her flashy stuff now. Like when she watches TV, we're specifically showing her like, you know, more muted colors, not as fast cuts. Mm. Like we're very mindful of what we show her. So this is a good thing, um, you know, rather than just like a seizure inducing cartoon Jeff, that are popular. Can I suggest RuPaul's Drag Race? She'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> she surprisingly doesn't really even look at a screen if there's humans on it. Like Coco Melon wow. is her trance. Like if we need <laughs> to do something like, okay, we need three seconds put on Coco Melon. But like she loves Paddington Bear, Little Bear. She likes bear stuff. Um Yeah. Hell yeah. But like some, you know, some 90s cartoons and stuff or just just some slower paced not I mean, that makes sense because her father is is a bear. I'm I'm a <laughs> I'm a daddy, I'm a bear. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes sense. Those are my my final thoughts before at, uh getting asked the question. Daniel San. A lot of my final now. thoughts are very very similar to Jeff's. Uh the the film is animated beautifully um you know he's he talked a little bit negatively about some of the character work and he was more impressed by the backgrounds and scenescapes i i agree however i i think the character design is a little simplified but i think later on as the movie progresses to a more heightened emotional state i think some of the acting animation mm-hmm. yeah, is really good talk about the human animation i just uh, it's it's better it's not the exaggerated anime style that i've grown to despise yes yeah, right it's like a lighter softer version of that jeff i'm reclaiming my time um i also wanted to point out the the dub because it's one of the first times that a dub didn't bother me i thought mm. it was not only performed really well but i i just think 
there's an art to syncing it to existing imagery where it feels natural um and it feels like it was meant to be there that the best thing a dub can do for me is for me to forget that it's a dub and this is one of the few times that that has happened yeah i also um, watch this without subtitles so sometimes when you watch translated same. movies a dub in the subtitles aren't don't link they, up they don't match so i wasn't distracted by that yeah so i mean um yeah i also will say that my reaction while watching it was different than my hindsight reaction which you can extrapolate either way you want but i think i like a good indie film um like this is a classic a24 thing that i do is like I spend so much time during the film thinking about the film that I have a hard time enjoying it. And then in retrospect, when I can look back on it and like sort of analyze what it means and how it breaks down in my head, I have more enjoyment for it. Um, So yeah, those are sort of where I stand after watching my neighbor Totoro. All right. Well, I like those uh, final thoughts. I think they're a little bit more positive than usual. So uh, I got to ask the question, fellas, was I able to talk you into on our third year anniversary of talk me into? Oh, wow. My neighbor Totoro. Three, two, one. Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. Exceptionally soft. Yes. One of the softest (laughs) yeses I've ever had. What? It's a yes. And Jeff is known for his soft yeses. Oh, I'm known for being soft. <laughs> Mr. Softy, they call him on the street. <laughs> there goes Mr. Softy, they say as they point at me walking by. Um, they play the song. I'm a soft yes because I didn't hate it. That's that's it. Um it was it was way too slow, even for me. Um I don't know. It it was fine. It was really, it was really well made. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't anything I didn't like, but there wasn't anything that's like, you're going to watch this again. But then I'm pushed into the yes, because yeah, I'll show Jeffrey into this at some point when she's a little bit Hell older, yeah. you know, a couple of years. Um, that That's why I'm a yes. I wasn't blown away by it. I have no real interest to watch this for myself again. And it doesn't make me want to watch more Miyazaki movies. But if one is on, I won't be upset. I won't be like, oh, no, we have to watch Spirited Away or whatever. Normally Mm. when something comes on, Jeff is upset. He's like, no, get it away. (laughs) I hate being cummed on. I am uh, more of a yes than Jeff is, I think. Um, I I agree that I'm not like probably going to watch this again. Um, I'm a little sad. I think Jeff's in a better place because he's got a little one to introduce this to. Uh, my niece, who I spend a lot of time with, is a little... She's in this range right now. She's about 10, sadly. Like she, They grow up fast now, but she's already a little too cynical for this in the original sense. Like, <laughs> And I think eventually I could show her this as like, a 14 year old if she still appreciates anime and she'll yeah. be able to get through that slow intro um right. it seems like this is there's like a gap in your childhood right. where this movie would not be interesting to you maybe if, if i put right, this I movie know, on seven to 14 you just won't care about this 
Exactly. If I put this on for my niece, she would make it about 10 minutes in and then go, I'm bored. Yeah. But, She's uh, got to be a cool teenager before she likes it. Yeah, exactly. And have a little bit more patience. Uh, however, one thing that I am stronger than Jeff on is that this actually did make me want to see more Miyazaki films. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know if I'm the target audience for this story, but I appreciated enough of the production, the animation, the quality of storytelling and the performances that it's like, hmm, maybe there's a different Miyazaki story that would be better suited to my interests. And for me, mm. that's a win, Jimmy. Okay, I love that. So next week, we're going to watch Howl's Moving Castle starring Christian Bale. And, Miyazaki uh, month. Miyazaki month. <laughs> oh, Ooh, we could. You know, we that's should mention that. Spoiler. We got, yeah. we got right some fun episodes coming up. Let's just very lightly tease it, Jeff. Okay, Let's just so next say. Week, next week, we're doing The Marvelous Ms. Maisel. We'll say that yeah. now. The week I'm really excited that. to talk you guys into the marvelous Mrs. Maisel just in time for the fourth season, but Jeff, oh. after that, we're starting something new. We are we're without saying too much. We are going to try theme months, kind of like we did with the the um, stand the not sketch stand, comedy, sketch comedy uh, showdowns. Showdown. They're not going to be showdowns. That was a lot of work, and it was daunting, and it made me want to never <laughs> watch sketch comedy again. But yeah um yeah we're gonna start some theme months so starting in two weeks we'll have one theme and then the following month we'll have another then we're gonna take a little break just go back to normal see how we're doing and you know we got some plans for some more months yeah so they're gonna be like mini series might not be exactly perfectly a you know month four episodes or whatever but no, like we feel like week chunks Sometimes things are worth doing multiple episode runs on a on a, a certain broad topic like Jimmy right. alluded to. Maybe we'll do a chunk of Miyazaki episodes or I like that idea. Yeah, we're, we're not going to tell you exactly what the first one's going to be. But uh, yeah, keep tuning in to find out what our first mini series is going to be. And then keep it locked as two older men told yeah, me on the radio 10 years on ago. <laughs> Jimmy, in the meantime, where can people, I mean, from this big landmine bombshell information, they're going to have to follow us on social media to find out more. So where can they do that? That's right. They can find us at TalkMeInto on Twitter, at TalkMeIntoPod on Instagram. And if you feel so inclined, you can send us an email, TalkMeInto at gmail.com, where you can give us your suggestions. Maybe we can do a themed month based off of something that you love and you can suggest it and it'll be really, really cool. And uh, you can also follow us on TikTok at TalkMeInto, where we're going to be hopefully posting some more stuff there soon. That'd be really cool. But um, if you really, really, really like us, you can also go to patreon.com slash talk me into where we post some exclusive stuff, which is really cool. We love doing that. Um, we do an exclusive show called Talking Shit, where it's just us uh, bullshit. It's a lot of fun. Really cool. And uh, yeah, you can also follow our show called So Discussions that we do on YouTube, where Dan and Jeff are taste testing soda. Yeah. And that's also really fun. Yeah. We love doing It's fun. Those. We're recording next week. I can't wait. I got I know, a, got a lot of freaking sodies to drink. <laughs> We're popping off. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, where yeah. can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter at J-E-F-F-F-F-F-27. That's Jeff with five Fs, the number 27. Dan, where can people find you online? You can follow me on Twitter.com under the name Danny underscore Breakdown. And check out my band, Disqualifier, wherever you enjoy listening to music. Jimmy, how about you? 
You can follow me youtube.com slash son of a Fitch. S-O-N-N-E-V-A-F-I-T-C-H. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. What will we talk you into next? Keeping Spotify so that we can take over Joe Rogan's spot. Yeah, we're almost there, guys. Almost. We're getting there. We're about 3 million listeners behind. <laughs> we'll get there. Don't worry. I'm recording. I, too, am recording. Jimmy, are you three recording? I am recording. We three amigos, amibros, amibas. Are we amibas? No. I have more than one cell. I don't know about you guys. Maybe we are the one cell. Wow. Maybe we're all in the matrix. We wow. probably are. Maybe we're in Matrix Resurrections. You know what I think is more likely than the idea that we're all in a Matrix? Is that is we all that, don't exist? No, is that I'm the only one that exists and you guys are just like creations of my psyche? So solipsism is what you ascribe to. Yeah, I'm the only real person. Everyone else is a figment of my imagination. Yeah, I've thought that many mm. times before. Yeah, same here. So that's probably not it. I do have this weird, weird reoccurring feeling that sometimes when people leave the room and I can't see them anymore, they just disappear into like dust. Yeah. Does a bear shit in the woods? I don't know. Does my family exist when I'm not with them? Yeah. It's very. You guys are just actors in my play. Dude, just double slit it up, bro. Double slit it up. Are you guys saying that because that's my subconscious telling me that? I don't know. Who knows that you. This is you trying to wake yourself up, Jimmy. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to think about that. I don't need that existential crisis. Talk me into being. (laughs) That's good. What would be great is if we were having this conversation like outside and then a truck just went off the road and ran me and Jeff over and you were like, wait, (laughs) is this me trying to not wake myself up? Am I the truck? (laughs) Jimmy, talk me into being. (laughs) Da-na-na-na. Oh boy! All right, Jim. All right. You want to do Jimmy, Dan, Jeff? Sure. All right. Uh, three, two, one. I did not realize that we had a clap until you got to like two and a half. I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, he's counting down to clap." <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll start her off. Crying All right. I'm trying to buy Saga on eBay and I have to p- type in all these codes to fucking log in. <laughs> and like, what's your PayPal code? Dude, I want to get into the Chip Zdarsky Daredevil run. I was which actually about that with Dante last night. Did you read it? No, but he's read he's reading daredevil from the beginning of volume two and he just finished like everything which is like a a huge chunk of like the really acclaimed stuff and he's going to start reading mark wade into charles soul into yeah zadarsky but the zadarsky collected editions are all out of print you can't get them on ebay and they're selling yeah i mean they're you can't get them on amazon and they're selling on ebay for like a hundred dollars for the first trade paperback it's so weird some of those trades dante was telling me like some of the collected versions of like even volume two, it's hard to get some. I remember when I was collecting volume two, because that's like the big one that I was collecting. 
I have it all in single issues. There might be like one or two I'm missing here and there, but there was a run written by Bob Gale of Back to the Future, which was at that point when I was collecting, not in trade. So I mm. had to buy the single issues to read it. And it's just so weird. And I just bought Saga, all 54 issues for $40. I'm very excited yeah, but about that. Has Dante actually looked into that? Because Daredevil does have... I mean, he were like omnibuses. Yeah, yeah, he's he's read for like everything. each of their collectors, uh, each of their collections. Did I, speaking I of which, did I talk it. about Spider-Man Life Story on here? You sure did. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I gotta just delete that from my list. I'm still recording, so Jimmy, you wanna take this? Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of backstory. But that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. This is just the first half. You don't need a whole lot. Got a new track going. I am officially recording. <coughs> I am recording as well. <clears throat> I am also recording. Yes, now, now you're talking slow, but before you were like, <laughs> good morning, <Yeah>. fellas. <laughs> Jeff's Jimmy impression is thing. just Wilbur, the horse. <laughs> oh, Wilbur. And it's actually Mr. Ed. Wilbur was his. That's own. right, or Jeff. Friend. You got me. Or friend. You Come know. on, Jeff. Or lover. No kink shaming Ooh. here. Not at all. Mr. Hands. Let's go. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I love how you both understand the reference. Jeff with a morning. First thing in the morning. Shout out to Mr. Hands. Gotta love it. <laughs> it's, it's 10 a.m. Do you know where your Mr. Hands reference is? <sighs> it's with Jeff. It's every just, morning it's in every nook and cranny of my brain every single time i hear anything i'm like i wonder if i can pull out a mr hands reference here i seen it i haven't but i know the reference oh jimmy yeah are we talking you into mr these. hands was, this episode i was just telling Lindsay the other day i was like oh you know it's crazy when somebody jumps off a building and they land on a pylon and they get impaled and they don't die and she's like how do you know that and i was like because the internet exists in the year 2001 like oh yeah we all saw bad things back then you're like oh here right. here's a picture of somebody doing something funny also here's somebody getting their head cut off yeah and it's on that, like yeah. the same site i feel like jimmy's generation is just far enough removed from the creation of the internet that people had like <laughs> couth and dignity about it yeah if, you, at least enough to not to, like trick you into seeing something horrible right if you wanted to see that stuff you're like you would send a link to like 4chan but when we were kids we were like here's a four second audio clip of somebody farting click next yeah. for something else funny and then it's somebody getting like a bamboo <laughs> shoot in their pee hole or something yeah oh i remember i was on a website watching a video of a guy aggressively dance humping someone and the <laughs> next video was a suicide bomber who was still alive after he blew himself up and i was like oh i don't think these belong <laughs> together hey check out That's this when the, check out this the funny video like five websites check out this funny video of a grandma blowing out her cake but her dentures fall out oh what's next oh it's a, a cat being skinned alive yay hooray <laughs> internet cool like should we start this episode <clears throat> yeah let's get on With to our, our family See, fun you, episode you guys are lucky, my neighbor totoro you guys are lucky that i don't edit every episode because this would have been the cold open <laughs> Jeff that. thinks everything should be a cold open. He's the cold open queen. I am. Sometimes I think that there there should be cold opens, but Jimmy's the the editor producer. He does everything well. I have no no complaints about how Jimmy produces the show. 
We've had a few Thank cold you. opens, and it makes them even more special because they're rare. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> okay. We got to clap. I'll count us down. Three, two, one. Hey, Jim, you're a little quiet. Am I? Yeah. I could turn myself up a little bit. Well, That's he's, better. He's quiet to us, but his track's probably fine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just saying I don't yeah. want to miss what he's saying. Is it better now? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, cool. Do you want me to start? Yeah. Sure. Hold on. Be before you do that, give me one second because I left my notes downstairs. I'm sorry. <laughs> if I did this, Jeff would never let me live it down. Yep. I already marked it. Just remember it's it's after the part where Jeff goes on a diatribe against the quality of female voices. <laughs> Right. Would you like to riff on vocal fry for five minutes and really just come out as a white old man? I'm good. You can go. That's what he is. So. Yeah. I love hearing Howard Stern make fun of vocal fry because I'm like, bruh, know your audience. <coughs> We're good. I'm good, Dan. You can continue your thought. <laughs>